Welcome to Sweet Bitter, where we explore the untold history of women and queer pirates. We're your hosts, Ellie Brigida. And Lisa Charlotte. This episode, we're discussing queer and women pirates in popular culture. But before we get into that, let's discuss fact or fiction. Unfortunately, Elise can't make it today, so we're going to speculate. And Elise is going to send us a voice memo with the answer, which I am sitting on, by the way. So, so ready for it. You're lucky I'm not a cheat, Ellie, because <laughs> I, could totally, I could totally cheat right now. Okay, here's Elise. The fact or fiction this week is, are pirates all gone now? All right. All right, Ellie. Well. I feel like I know the answer to this. So do I, to be honest. Like, it, it's, it's an <laughs> obvious answer. Not obvious, but like. Obviously, they're all gone, Ellie. <laughs> that's, I'm joking. Like, the answer is twofold, but mm-hmm. like. Pirates as they were in the golden age are gone, I would say. Okay. But there are still pirates. For sure. Right? Like, I think just, like, the way we envision them is different. Like, they don't dress the same, right? And there's not, like, as we're talking about pop culture, this, like, pop culture surrounding them. But there are still, if we look at the definition of pirates, right, as basically like people who live on the water, people who steal things from like sanctioned government agencies on the water, right, there are still pirates around today. I mean, yeah, we know that there are, I mean, obviously the one that comes to mind that is has been the most, like, I guess, well-known is the Somali pirates. I'm also thinking about, so next week, and I don't, you weren't in this interview, so you didn't meet them, but we're doing a bonus episode on this organization called Be More Pirate, which is like basically using ideals from piracy and business. And I know I'm going to make this reference for our listeners and not for you because I know you're not going to know it, but I think it's at the beginning of one of the, one of the Monty Python movies. I think it's the meaning of life. There's this whole thing and it's like (laughs) these businesses, like it makes me think of like uh, corrupt business practices, you know, of like this, like stealing from the government thing. And they like take it to life and like the buildings turn into ships and they're all like. (laughs) Yep. <laughs> it made me think of that. So for anybody who's a Monty Python listener, I hope some of our listeners are because I reference Monty Python way too much. I mean, they are. They have to be. I'm sorry that I'm It made not. me think about that. No, it's okay. It's like the older I get, the less people know Monty Python. And, you know, it's just something I have to live with. I'm becoming irrelevant. That's <laughs> no. <laughs> but, you know, it's not irrelevant. It's pirates. <laughs> no, it's not. And absolutely not. And I feel like pirates you know, live inside all of us as well. Like it's become this really big queer movement, especially on TikTok, which I love. Shanties are alive and well. Anyway, I'm going to play Elisa's clip and we're going to see that we're right because we're right. Let's see. We're right. Okay. Okay. That is fiction. It's fiction. Oh my God. I never would have guessed. (laughs) Did you say fiction? Yeah, it's fiction because it's Pirates Are All Gone Now is a fiction. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. We were correct. I miss Elise. I know. I know. Just hearing her voice on a voice memo, you know, doesn't really do it for for you in the same way. It's not the same as having her presence here. Yes, exactly. Very, very sad. But I'm glad we were vindicated. I mean, and that we're both right, you know, in the last episode. There was no way that I could, in good faith, try to argue the opposite just because I just, I, I can't. Pretend that I felt like you were going somewhere with the golden age of yeah, piracy. Yeah, but thing. like, I can- what is a pirate? Could we call them pirates? Really? Yeah, <laughs> we could have gone with that. We could have. With yeah, that. like, do they call themselves pirates? But like, did pirates in the golden age call themselves pirates as well? I have no idea, and we don't even have our pirate expert here, so we just have to we're speculate. just speculating. But <laughs> as we continue to speculate, we will be back after a quick break, and we're back. So today we're going to be talking about queer and women pirates in popular culture. I just want to flag it here. Oh, that's an interesting choice of words. <laughs> yes, good <laughs> choice we, of words. <laughs> that we recorded these interviews before the beginning of the season. So our flag means death was not yet out. 
and it isn't part of any of these interviews. However, this is a very good time to tell you that we will be doing a bonus series at the end of the season covering the show for our patrons. So please sign up for that if you want to hear us talk about it. We have been loving it. I can't wait to watch it again to do this podcast series. It's so good. It's going to be great. But first, we're going to hear from pirate expert Rebecca Simon, who gave us an overview of the history of pirates and pop culture. I think, I mean, I can't speak for everyone. I can speak for myself. So I think that they're very popular because these are people who are essentially, you, you know, they're going against authority. They're, they don't care what people think. They take control for themselves. A lot of them are portrayed as kind of being these very morally ambiguous figures. So kind of both villains, but also kind of the good guys at the same time. And that I think has always been a very fascinating type of character in pop culture. And I think also they're very anti-establishment. And I think depending on what's going on politically, we tend to become more attracted to anti-establishment at certain times. So I think, you know, we've had lots of times of conflict since 9-11, of course, and that's kind of around the time pirates got very popular again. And so kind of some more anti-establishment times. And then I think it's just kind of, you know, the idea of people sailing on these adventures, you know, looking for buried treasure, treasure maps, X marks the spot. Like, you know, they're, they're sexy, they're fun, you know, these characters that we might not meet otherwise, but that's what, that's what it is. They make very intriguing, morally ambiguous characters in fiction. And people are just kind of generally very attracted to that. Pirates have always kind of been a source of interest particularly in the 18th century, which was a time when social mobility was very difficult. If you were born poor, you stayed poor, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas pirates could sometimes transcend this, starting out very poor, but then getting moderately wealthy for their social class or for the time period. So people were quite interested. People go see their public executions. They were large topics in the newspapers. But what made them very popular was in 1724, there was a book published called A General History of the Pirates by Captain Charles Johnson. And this is a collection of pirate biographies, initially published in two volumes and then collated into one. It's like several inches thick, but it's never gone out of print. You can buy a copy online, sometimes even bookstores. And What's interesting, it's a very complicated source, and this is where historians debate. Some use it as a very legitimate source to look at the lives of pirates and early lives of pirates. Others look at it as it's very fictionalized. And so you have to really kind of read between the lines of what might be true and what isn't. There are details that are true. There are details that are very likely made up. But this was a bestseller. People loved this book. It was abs- it was great. And then, you know, of course, popularity always wanes a bit, but what really changed and really created a momentum of piracy that has lasted to this day was the publication of the book Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson in, I think, 1883. Initially a serial printed week by week, chapter week by week called The Sea Dog, and then it was put into a book called Treasure Island. And this book was an instant bestseller amongst people of all ages, this swashbuckling story. It's where we get the idea of a treasure map and X marks the spot, buried treasure, you know, Long John Silver, the peg leg, the parrot, the eye patch. And this kind of really made piracy very, very popular. It was adapted numerous times on stage, numerous times on screen, the most famous of which, which also really helped it take off, was the 1950s adaptation starring Robert Newton as Long John Silver, who has a very heavy Cornwall accent. He over-exaggerated it and used it for Long John Silver. So that's where we get the whole like, arr, matey, that type of accent comes from him. And then, of course, Disney, you know, they create the ride for Disneyland, the Pirates Caribbean ride, which is based a bit on Treasure Island. And, you know, piracy stayed popular, again, kind of ebbed and flowed. It would show up, you know, in plot points kind of in films like Goonies, Cutthroat Island, Muppets Treasure Island, you know, these sorts of things. But then, of course, there was the Disney film Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, based on the ride and creating a whole story. And this was a massive success. And, of course, as we know, they created a whole franchise out of it. So it really brought piracy back to the forefront. And we start seeing in other forms of pop culture, there were bands that kind of did like pirate style music, a band called Alestorm does like pirate metal, although now they've transitioned into more folk style. Very interesting. And then, of course, most recently, the show Black Sails on Stars, which is set to be kind of a prequel to Treasure Island, but also takes place during 
the correct time period, you see all the actual real life pirates as main characters. Of course, they fudge the accuracy because they're all existing at the same time when they shouldn't be, but it's kind of mixing a lot of this in. So it, it's always ebbed and flowed, but piracy ever since kind of Pirates of the Caribbean came out in 2003 has kind of really stayed this pretty good steady trajectory and sometimes even upward trajectory of popularity. I am loving all of these descriptive words. Adventurous, sexy, fun, intriguing. I just like <laughs> it's like a yeah, it's like a movie. She? It's like a movie trailer, right? It like is. it is. It is. I can see it right now with all of these words like <laughs> popping up. Bam, 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 bam. Yes. Oh, this isn't a visual podcast, but yeah, I, but you I get have it. hands for that. Listeners, you get you it. Get, you get it. You get, you get it. it. She's a pirate. <laughs> She's a pirate, obviously. Obviously. Also, like, I mean, we're gonna talk a lot about in this episode, but like one of the reasons I think we even started talking about pirates in this show is because pirates are so embedded in our pop culture, right? It's like, so much. oh, what do we want to talk about? Like, pirates, because they're everywhere. They're everywhere in our movies. Obviously. They're in TV. They're, in, of course. they're on TikTok. And we're like, okay, let's figure out, like, the deal of the history behind them. Because obviously all history is, like, way more gay and women-focused than it would lead us to believe. Exactly. So Exactly. (laughs) We've been having this conversation on Twitter because people are like, oh, our flag means death isn't realistic. And we're going to talk about, like, realistic pirate pop culture down the line. But I would argue that our flag means death is probably like 98% more realistic than like every other pop culture pirate thing that there is. Yep. Like it, given like what we've spoken about and like all of the stuff we've learned this season, like there's like one other show we're going to talk about later that probably beats it. But I think our flag means death is like second. It's there. It's definitely there. <laughs> it's there. We also spoke with Antonio Santa, the editor of Pirates in History and Popular Culture and an expert in pop culture and literary representations of pirates. Deep started from my passion uh, for cinema on the one hand and I really loved the Pirates of the Caribbean series so I wanted to write a review on that and then I uh, realized that I joined such a passion to um, the fact that uh, I am a scholar of English literature and uh, I realized that almost every major author in English literature from the 18th century uh, to uh, our own days, uh, has written about pirates. So I started doing my uh, research, uh, and uh, uh, more and more authors uh, came out. Uh, I, I knew about Lord Byron, for example, uh, but then I, I discovered about uh, Daniel Defoe, um, uh, Scott, uh, um, Swift, uh, um, and many, many, many others many other uh, authors of English uh, uh, novels and plays, uh, they all talked about pirates. So I realized how um, important was the subject, how much did, uh, did they feel it, and they, they, they wrote about it. Um, people usually uh, think, when we think about pirates, the first uh, um, pirates we think about are Long, Long John Silver, uh, from Stevenson's novel and uh, um, uh, Captain Hook from uh, Peter Pan, but they they are all, they're just the most famous literary pirates. There are a lot of stories uh, about uh, um, pirates, and everyone in I mean every major English author um, has written about them, and the same is true also for American writers. So uh, the, the more I uh, researched on Barrett, the more author I, the authors I discovered that uh, who wrote uh, about them. And uh, it, it, it became a very long uh, research. I think the, just the literary part took me about four months. But it was very, very satisfying to discover that it was a subject that uh, um, interested so many people after three centuries. There are a series of reasons. One, one of the main reasons is that they represent freedom, freedom from all social constrictions, freedom from the rules of behavior. This is not necessarily a positive thing, as I discovered when I studied about historical pirates. Their freedom meant the death, the capture, 
the pillage of other people's goods. Uh, so it was not completely a positive, a positive thing. Uh, on the other hand, uh, their representation, especially in cinema, if you think of uh, the Swobakin films uh, of the 1930s, uh, and uh, many representations we had uh, through the decades in cinema, they have been represented as uh, free. People who can behave just like they want. And this is the, the fascinating part, I think, for the contemporary uh, audience. Uh, the fact that they established uh, um, place uh, communities of their own. Uh, um, in the past, there was Libertalia. It, it was a colony that founded in Madagascar. And uh, it was a, a real utopia. Something uh, Thomas More could not predict uh, when he wrote in the 16th century. It was a very, uh, as the, the name itself says, uh, a, a very uh, place of freedom. Uh, uh, we, um, they had their own rules, uh, uh, you know, they had their code of behavior. Uh, there was a sort of uh, strict rules, but they had to respect those rules. Uh, in a period when there was still slavery, and when uh, not all of the people could vote, so they had a system of votes. Each pirate had one, a one-man, one-vote uh, system aboard the ship. So it was a very communitarian sort of uh, communitarian group, um, which is, I think, one of the reasons we, uh, we love them. They live in the Caribbean, many of them, the representation of land of them, um, places them in the Caribbean, so it, it, it looks like a very good life. In reality, that was not the, the reality in history, the, the, the real life of the pirates in history was uh, very different actually, and it was uh, um, characterized by illnesses, uh, uh, malnutrition, uh, um, wounds, uh, wounds and scars by the very, uh, various battles they had to endure. It, it was not an easy life. So I presume that if people uh, studied the real aspects, the real uh, testimonies of uh, historical pirates, their life would not be that enviable in the end. But uh, in the past century, we received a very positive uh, representation of them, uh, and that's uh, what uh, fascinates people today. I love how Antonio is totally calling us out here. <laughs> We're like, yes, pirates, so cool. He's like, actually, when you take a look at it, they didn't really have a great life. We're like, yeah, but... Like, but... Look at the freedom they that they gay. have. And they're on the sea. But I mean, <laughs> we we understand that we've talked about this before. Pirates had a short lifespan. Like they were yeah. like living their life knowing pretty soon that they some somewhere along the way they were gonna die in, in battle. They were gonna die on the ship of dysentery. I don't even know. They but, had to sleep on a boat. <laughs> yeah, it's on it's not a, it's not not necessarily a cruise ship, but I think we're <laughs> it's a cruising ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. So Antonio ran us through some of the most famous pop culture pirates and what's so special about each of them. I would say that I really like Captain Hook and uh because of his uh, something that you is usually ignored, his fixation with time. His obsession with time, uh, think about it. Uh, he, um, uh, Peter Pan does not want to grow old. He is old, but he fears the um, crocodile, which, ha which has a time clock ticking inside. So he's like, he's scared of time as much as Peter Pan is. So it's a, it's a very, uh, there is a, this particular, this very ingenious particular in the story, which is uh, uh, fascinating. I really like uh, um, Long John Silver as well, the very fact that uh, he really is a bad character. You try, you as reader, try to, um, to save him, to redeem him in your mind, but he's a double crosser and you, you are not never capable of, of doing that uh, in the end. 
I also, okay, how can you? I also like Jack Sparrow. He's, um, but uh, I think this is because he's been um, constructed, he's been thought in such an agreeable way for everyone. Uh, we enjoy the way he moves. Uh, we love Johnny Depp, so uh, it, it's quite really easy uh, to love such a character. And uh, he's funny and uh, he's intriguing. And that's, that's a characteristic of the whole uh, uh, saga of the five films. Uh, and we, we are so looking forward to a sixth uh, theme of Pirates of the uh, Caribbean. I, uh, there is a, a novel. There is a novel I never expected. Um, and uh, I, um, I, I really enjoyed it. It's uh, The Frozen Pirate dated 1887, and it's been written by William Clark uh, Russell. Um, and I never heard, uh, I had never heard before about this novel, and it, it, it is actually the first uh, um, fictional text which speaks about cryogenics, uh, cryogenics, uh, that possibility for a man to be frozen and then re, uh, reawakened. And uh, it, it, it's the story of uh, a mariner who gets lost at sea and uh, uh, finds a floating uh, uh, ice island uh, which he is uh, slowly melting down. This uh, and on this island there is a vessel uh, with a group of frozen uh, pirates. He uh, reawakes, reawakens uh, one of them and uh, um, the pirate is actually a, a real villain and uh, always threatening the character, always remembered about uh, very bad acts uh, he committed uh, uh, against his own companions and uh, against uh, uh, civilization. Uh, we have to remember that the pirates, the historical pirates, are actually the, the, the worst criminals. Uh, they were the, the, the enemies of mankind. This is the way they were defined during the 17th and 18th century. Uh, they, they were actually uh, villains. If you think also of them, um, the, the Ditto, uh, Dead Man Tells uh, No Tales, Dead Man Tells No Tales, and this is what actually happened. They uh, exterminated entire crews of commercial uh, vessels or of the Navy and uh, even though, uh, even when it was not, uh, not necessary, just not to have uh, any witnesses, uh, just not to incur in the wrath of the other governments, uh, just to try to evade law. We also talk with Antonio about some of the movies we've been watching on our bonus episodes, starting with the infamous Cutthroat Island. What a memory. Cutthroat Island has been, the, um, I think, some, some people argue that it's been the biggest flop in uh, Hollywood, Hollywood history. The biggest bomb, uh, as uh, uh, you, we could define it. So, um, uh, it, it, it made no success at all. Uh, it, well, it went well uh, beyond uh, its budget and it, 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 it didn't even get even with the budget. Uh, that's because it is a completely inaccurate uh, representation of uh, uh, pirates. And I, I, I actually enjoyed the film. I, I like it, though it is not. It cannot be considered uh, as a uh, true representation of them. We have testimonies of only very few pirate women. Uh, in, think about it. First of all, women were not allowed aboard pirate vessels. In uh, in the Royal Navy, uh, they thought that women. Uh, uh, where uh, would have would bring bad luck aboard. So, what are usually sorts um, um, of crews of, of made only of men did not particularly enjoy uh, the company of women. It was a very uh, chauvinistic attitude on the part of them. Um, uh, so, for a woman to become a pirate, they had to cross press. Uh, as a man, 
And, uh, for example, we see this uh, in uh, the case of the heroine of the Pirates of the Caribbean saga. Uh, she, she cross-dresses as a man to get aboard um, a vessel. But, in reality, uh, we had only um, two women, um, in particular, uh, and the, the, we know only about two historical women. They cross-dressed aboard the vessel, and when they were discovered, they were or um, accepted as uh, a part of the crew. This is also due to the fact that women were the uh, weak sex, so they could, uh, uh, it, it would have been difficult for them to um, face the physical challenges, to uh, enact the cruelty that was required of, uh, uh, of pirates. And of course, we talked about Pirates of the Caribbean and how accurate it is. Well, uh, you won't uh, find uh, a completely realistic portrayal. You will find uh, several details uh, that are realistic uh, um, in, uh, in different films. For example, in the Pirates of the Caribbean saga, some scenes are actually accurate. For example, when the vessels of the Navy uh, fight against the pirate vessels, the destruction of the ships, the damage that cannonballs can do to another ship, to the wood, to the people, that is very realistic. The fact that many, uh, many people, many pirates were used to uh, drink a lot, and we are talking about rum, not, not, definitely not water or grog or other drink, other beverages, uh, that is realistic. So you will find some um, details uh, in all films uh, that are uh, realistic. Uh, there is uh, in uh, um, the way that uh, how they choose to navigate the seas, uh, the system of votes, uh, the fact that they had to vote to decide which direction uh, uh, the ship would have to move on, or which vessel to attack. To attack. This is represented in some of the films. Uh, you, you won't find a film that is completely realistic, but you can sum up a few of the details uh, around. Uh, there, are, there are almost no films about the careening of the ships. You know, every two or three months, uh, all uh, pirates had to careen their ships which meant to bring it on the shore and to clean the lower part of the ship, the one that usually is underwater. And this was an operation that I had to do every two or three months because um, otherwise the, uh, the interior part of the ship would have got stuck with the solido worms and with the old algae and all the kind of um, crustaceous-like forms and this would have made the, the ship uh, slower. And uh, um, velocity was one of the main, of the three more important things that a ship uh, should have had. Because the quicker you were, the, the, the lower were the possibility to be captured, to evade capture. Uh, and you, you won't see, uh, you, you see the reading, for example, at the beginning of. Uh, the fifth episode in the Pirates of the Caribbean saga, they have they have a, a green uh, ship. Uh, so, uh, as I'm showing you, there are a lot of details, uh, but usually the story they had they had a lot of story. They had the, the all the fights, uh, the long long duels. Uh, it's quite rare the duel would would have actually lasted so. Much. Match. But you have to show the hero fighting against the village up on the ship, on the various parts of the ships, and then on the mast. It, it was um, a necessary practice for them, and the very fact that they, uh, many of them um, practice piracy in the Caribbean, uh, this helped them because uh, there are so many islands, and not all of them were charted. They knew where to hide. They, they had a lot of hiding places there. Then the coast uh, was never um, uh, geographically very clear. Uh, so they had a lot of places they could carry in their ships. Uh, and uh, as I was saying, 
their ship, they were not galleons, so they could bring the ship over the beach and careen it. Uh, otherwise, it, w- it would not have been really possible with the galleon. Can you imagine if the Pirates of the Caribbean films <laughs> took the time to like <laughs> to clean the ship in the film? Like it's <laughs> oh yeah yeah yeah. Sorry, just like of course it's not included. Like <laughs> it's an hour and a half film. Yeah, like we don't need those details. <laughs> we do not. Like I mean, okay, I get it. Like I mean, I, it's been a long time since I watched this saga, and maybe what Antonio is referring to is like something to do with the fact that like the ship was at sea for so long. Yes, like it literally never ports. Yeah. Oh, it never does in the. It films? does. No, it does. I mean, in the beginning, it's at port. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like <laughs> there's. I just had this image of like there being this whole scene, Johnny Depp like. I've got to clean the ships. I'm sorry. It's just killed me. I don't know. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, I don't think Jack Sparrow was really cleaning his own ship. No. Let's be real. No, but I had an image of him like leading it. Like, okay, it's time to go in. We've got to <laughs> clean the ship. And we're going to take out 30 minutes of the film to accurately Just to this. see this. Just to accurate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so they got it. They got it close, but there's another... <laughs> representation that a lot of scholars talk about as one of the most accurate representation of pirates and that is black sails everyone mentioned it is the most accurate representation of pirates and pirate sexuality so here's pirate expert jamie goodall followed by historian clint jones so i would say the least representative would probably be probably the pirates in peter pan um, just because they're, they're more of the stereotype of pirates with the, the hard fisted captain and, and they're just these gnarly individuals who are threatening and they're so fanciful, especially Captain Hook. He's so over the top, if you will. And so I think it's, you take all the stereotypes of pirates and put them together and that's the, that's the image that you get is something like Captain Hook. I'd say as far as the most realistic would be Black Sails, the the Stars show. I think it was Stars. I think when you look at pop culture, there are lots of ways to sort of mock and make fun of <laughs> the, the way pirates are portrayed. But I also think there's something very relevant in in the the way that different time slices of pop culture have presented pirates to us. And I think Black Sails does a good job in a lot of ways about coming close to sort of depicting the socio-political moment of that time period. And I think it does a better job than, say, Netflix, their new special on Pirates, which it purports to be like a docudrama, I think does a worse job than Black Sails, which is full-blown fiction. And so I would I would recommend Black Sails to anybody. It's got some great stuff, some great moments, and, and it does a really good job, I think, of representing the personalities of the pirates that are involved, like the historical pirates that make a, make appearances in black sails alongside the fictional characters. The writers of that show did a really good job of trying to capture those pirates. Even when I think that, you know, they are historically inaccurate in sort of the, the actual outcomes of certain things. I do think they, they get enough, right. That it's like a keyhole glimpse into what that life might've actually been like. So if you if you read Treasure Island, Long John Silver has taken over from Captain Flint. And in in Black Sails, Captain Flint is the dominant personality and the guy that will become Long John Silver is this minor figure that doesn't seem like he's going to be much of a pirate at all. And as the show progresses, the homosexual bent of Captain Flint's character becomes an integral part of the storyline that peels him away so that Long John Silver can step into the final role. And then presumably you could read Treasure Island and you have this whole backstory. So it's actually kind of cool. So I have to admit, I still haven't watched Black Sails. I really want to, but it looks so dark. And I just... Yeah, like you need need something lighthearted. Sometimes when I sit down to watch TV (laughs) and I think about watching Black Sails, I'm like, this looks really serious and I just want fun. And then I turn on Our Flag Means Death. Like, it's just, 
I will watch it. I'm going to try and watch some of it before the finale because I feel like it's a really important show, but I just can't. I haven't seen it either, I will say. But one of the things that I do love about it is that they do talk about the accurate portrayal of it and also the gay stuff in it, which (laughs) we are Mm -hmm. here for. I will say most pop culture focuses on male homosexuality. It's true. And we love Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed. Oh, my God. Ellie, before we get into the next point, I have to tell you, someone on Twitter, a genius, I don't know who they are, but they're a genius, has suggested, I don't know if you've seen this tweet, that's the second season of Our Flag Means Death is Anne Bonny, about Anne Bonny and Mary Reed. Oh, yes, please. And then at please. the end, they intersect with the ships. Nice. So like the whole season just takes this whole segue into Anne Bonny and Mary Reed. And then at the very end, they like meet Blackbeard and the crew, which like, I personally feel like season three could do that because I need to know what's going to happen. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, I would be really mad if I had to wait a whole season for, like, Steed and Blackbeard to, like, reconnect. Yeah. Which maybe we'll have to anyway, but I want to see that story. But I do feel like that's a really good idea for a season of Our Flag Means Death because obviously this show is going to run until the end of time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we need more lesbian pirates on our screens. We do. So we did talk with Natasha Sutton-Williams more about Lesbian Pirates. Lesbian Pirates is about two badass bitches who take on the 18th century patriarchy. And the show is based on the real-life lesbian pirates Anne Bonny and Mary Reed, and it's an irreverent musical comedy. So the little blurb for it is that um, navigating through the treacherous Caribbean Sea, two lesbian pirates jump ship to steal the treasured purple carbuncle from their naval nemeses. They meet while presenting as male pirates. They fall in love and slaughter swathes of men to plunder their prize. All the while, they're trying to escape the noose by pleading the belly. The show has been in development for just over two years. Obviously, pandemic didn't help in terms that we had lots of things that were going to happen, which all kind of got nixed. So where are we at? We do a thing in in the UK with theatre called Research and Development, R&D. So we're doing one of those in October at a place called The Lowry, which is a theatre in the north of England. And I'd say there's about an hour's worth of material at the moment. And the aim is that it would be, you know, about, I would say, two hours with an interval. And the idea is that the whole show would be sung through. So there wouldn't be any dialogue in it would have kind of oratorio and stuff like that as well. I think that Hamilton, I think that took seven years development, I think. And again, sung through pretty much. And I just think it's very exciting and kind of thrilling, you know. I'm always, when I'm watching musicals, to be fair, that's not true with everything, but I'm always like, okay, let's get to the music. That's what we really want. So why not just have that all the time? I'm super into history and I'm, in, I'm really interested in forgotten histories, particularly when it comes to women. And I had heard about these female pirates that would go to the coast of Ireland and they dock at the port and talk to all the women at the port and go, hey, do you want to come and have adventures with us on the seven seas and like plunder and, you know, engage in a free life? Or do you want to have babies with with your second cousin, you know, and and wash the dishes and clean the clothes? And I first heard about that and then I thought, okay, this is interesting. And I do a lot of disability arts journalism and I'm a disability advocate and I'm very engaged in that in that world. And I kept on thinking, why aren't we seeing kind of complex, sexy, disabled characters Especially because, and again, I'll talk about because I'm based in the UK, one in five people in the UK are disabled. It's almost inevitable that you become disabled as you as you get older. People have health conditions. I've got a health condition. I've got endometriosis. And... I was just thinking, why aren't we why aren't we having these kind of interesting characters that that happen to be disabled? And then I realized, well, pirates obviously did have disabilities because for various reasons, including including their battles at sea and the pirate code that they had, they would actually be given money 
for their various different injuries. So like I would be more worth more than a finger, but a leg would be worth more than an arm and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, okay, this is really interesting. And then I heard about Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed and this idea that they did have a romantic relationship. And I thought, okay, this is great. So I can weave in queer stories, disability, historical, you know, swashbuckling adventure all in one. And I was like, okay, this is great. And also I'm very into kind of dark dark comedy and humor and it's got these kind of life and death stakes to it as well so it's got all these terrific ingredients to make a really um a literally killer show so i actually did this interview with natasha oh yes and it was such a great conversation such a cool human being amazing and also like just from hearing some of the stuff that she's talking about right We've talked about healthcare with pirates, right? So mm-hmm. she's talking a little bit about like they basically had disability insurance so good. for pirates. Yeah. But like it makes sense if you're like, oh, pirates had disabilities. Like, of course they did mm-hmm. because and people have disabilities everywhere. I don't know. Everybody ends up disabled. Like everybody. We all, will all be disabled one yes. day. Like yes. there's just no getting around that. Like basically everybody. Yeah. Or we die young, you know, it's one or the other. Yeah. Yes. Peg, peg legs, like hooks for hands, like mm. all of that stuff. You think about that as like pirate culture, but mm. it's also like, okay, that's pirate disability. And they were being compensated for that mm. through their ship, which is very, I just think very cool. Mm-hmm. So we did talk to Natasha a bit more about the show itself and some of her choices around casting and set design. Since the beginning, we've worked with disabled actors. And at the moment, what we're doing, we just did a video, a pitch, which will then pitch to British theatres and stuff like that. And we were working with two BSL actors who have become like really great friends of mine just through a really quick process. But what, what we're working on at the moment is this idea that we'd have two disabled actors, singers, and then basically the character of Mary would have two actors playing her. So you'd have a BSL actor and you'd have a singing actor. And then the same with Anne. It's like, the, okay, there's two queer relationships on stage at all times but also how do those how do those two parts of that character interact with themselves so we're kind of at the moment working on how can we do that how can we make that work and i think that it's it's super exciting and i think it's quite radical and um just a really interesting kind of theatrical visual essentially and and also, I think it's really important that we see this, see disabled, you know, actors more and more. Because again, in in Britain, I'll just speak because I, that's what I know. I just think it's really, really important to be seeing the. This is really exciting, innovative work from disabled creatives, and it doesn't. It's it's not a lesser art. It's and sometimes I've some of the best things I've ever seen because because again it's radical and it's different. And also this idea that how do you how do you express a musical in sign language? And I think that's just a really interesting idea in and of itself. So I think it's exciting. One of the R and D's we had, I can't remember how many people we had something like eight people. And then for this smaller version, also because of COVID blah, 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 whatever, the logistics. One of our cast actually fell sick, so I had to play both parts. I had to play Anne and Mary. So my my vision is probably, you know, 30 people on stage. And then we also thought about how can we make a construction on stage that could look like a ship. And then I saw a show. Did I see a show? I think I did. No, I went to a playground. And this playground looked like a pirate ship. And I was like, oh, my God, this is how we have to have this set because it's just so great. And, you know, you could you can jump around on stage, but also you could have it accessible dependent on what people's impairments are. And I just like I just thought, okay, this is this is awesome. But the thing is, is that we were thinking about doing the real ships because there are real ships in again in Britain and things like the Golden Hinds. But because of accessibility issues, it's quite it's a it's a bit more difficult. It's a really interesting idea what happens if you actually use those as a stage. I think it's still something that we can think about. But there's also lots of like kind of bureaucracy around 
what you can and can't do on historical ships. So I think the playground, the playground idea at the moment, I think I'm going for that. And I need to tell my producer that's a reminder because I was like, oh my God, this is such a good idea. So Ellie, sorry, what is BSL? Yeah, so BSL is British Sign Language. Ah. Um, yeah, so Natasha was working with disabled creators and singing actors simultaneously, as she said before. And that's really important to her and her work. Yeah. I also find it really cool that she's creating these immersive experiences. Mm-hmm. So one of the things we talked about, which I'm not sure if, if we put even further up here, is that she wanted to use like actual historical ships. And so we were talking a little bit about how like she was like, maybe I'll do like a gorilla thing where I like go to these historical ships because it's not that easy mm-hmm. to get someone to be like, yeah, you can do th- you can do this play about lesbian pirates on our historical <laughs> pirate ship. There's a guy here who I actually know who does pirate burlesque on the water. Like he takes out ships and they do. I've been meaning to go, but like it's just never fallen on a night when I've been free. But they do, yeah, pirate burlesque like on the water. So you go out on a nice. ship and then they do burlesque in pirate costumes. So if you live in New York, look out for that next time the weather is good. Natasha also shared a little with us about her writing process. Well, I'm very into like deadlines and feedback. And if I don't have a deadline, it's sometimes things will come out of my head or I'll have a dream. Like I had a dream last night about a show. And then I realized uh, in, in my dream, there was like audience participation and like, I don't know, there were like little water guns and they were like little sailboats you could hold and stuff. And I, I woke up and then I thought, oh, we should have some audience participation. The only thing is if you give people things to do, then you kind of draw their focus away, but it's an idea. So how I work is I'll think of melodies and lyrics pretty much at the same time. I work with an arranger and a fabulous piano player called Phil Blanford, who is based in Bristol. And Bristol was a big pirate town back in the day and a big port. And we've been working together for about 13 years because I also do, I sing early jazz. So I do from 1910s to 1940s. And I work with him on on that stuff. And so we've just kind of got this process where I'll go, it kind of, I want it to kind of sound like this. And then he'll be like this, like this. And then it's like, yeah, great, let's move on. So I think it's quite, it's in fits and starts, let's say. And I de- I'm definitely a writer who will, you know, have an incredibly clean kitchen, but nothing on the page unless it has to be done, which I'm, tr- my, I'm trying to have a better discipline with that. But I think it's also important to say that out loud for people that are writers or people that want to be writers, that it is, it's really hard. And don't worry if it doesn't come straight away because things don't come to me straight away. And yet I do have a body of work. So it's also how do you keep on moving that story forward as opposed to, oh, I really want to do a song about, I've been writing this song, I think it's called Octopus Orgy. And basically it's about like having, you know, these kind of orgy, they're on the boat and they're kind of initiating these new female pirates into, into their gang. And they're talking about what they do at sea. So that, you know, it's like, orgasms with orcas or like 69ers with squids. I mean, there was a whole thing. I had just been writing that on, you know, the back of an envelope and it, you know, am I condone, am I condoning um, bestiality? I, I think, I think it's important to say that in the song, all the animals want to engage with this. Like it's a very harmonious orgy. These, these animals are not, these sea creatures are not engaging in practices that, that are against their will. Um, <laughs> I think that's an important moment in the show. But also, again, like how does that actually push the story forward? How can you have a really super fun song, but you keep that kind of n- narrative momentum going? And I think that's where you kind of hit the sweet sweet spot. I mean, one of my favorite shows of all time is Rocky Heart Picture Show. And in a sense, you know, some of those songs don't need to be there, but they're just so beautiful and so, like, terrific and, you know, that you kind of don't mind. But I think the sweet spot is narrative meets kooky or something like that. Okay, we're going to talk about the octopus orgy. It's beautiful. We have to. 
I mean, but also the only thing I've had like close to this is when I was in school and I had a dream that I sang Sway by Dean Martin at my cabaret and that I was dancing. Now I can't dance, but I told my teacher about it and she got dances for me to perform with me. So my dream became reality and it feels really good. So I love this. Oh, I I wasn't really not sure where that story was going <laughs> when we when you started it, but okay, dancing. Nothing yes, to do with yes. Octopus Orgy at dancing, all. Dancing, dancing, dancing. <laughs> yes. Okay, so we're talking dreams turned into reality. I got it. I got it. <laughs> I just I just I felt like it would be I would be remiss to not first mention octopus orgy it felt like the first thing that had to come out of my mouth oh yeah but then i wanted to share this anecdote about my dream becoming a reality which was great but um i've never quite dreamt about an octopus orgy before yes well i like to like when we talk she's like everyone's consenting here right (laughs) like it's a very sex positive show i love it but that is just the octopus orgy is just the tip of the iceberg there's a song called that i wrote in a cafe in Bristol. And I was like, how is this going to move the plot along? I don't know. It's called Get It On. And it's sung by a pirate called Calico Joe, who in real life was called Calico Jack and was married to Anne Bonny. And, and he basically, he enjoys watching people have sex and he finds it quite hard to get erections. So that's kind of why he watches. And so he's singing this song about people getting it on and it's it's got all these, you know, I use your shaft as a lance and there's all this kind of get it funky tonight and all this kind of stuff going on. So I think that's that's very fun. And also I'm very interested in talking about sex and talking about sex openly and the kind of, you know, like the glorious parts of that and the awkward parts to that and the, you know, horrendous parts of that as well and kind of sex in all its different tones and colors. So that that's fun. I haven't written this yet, but basically at the end of the show, both of them are pregnant. They're pleading the belly, which basically meant that you could, in the time, I've said it in 1717, you couldn't hang women. You could hang men, but you couldn't hang women. And they hanged a lot of uh, male pirates. And there was a caveat that you could hang women if they were pirates. However, if they were pregnant and they pled the belly, then you couldn't hang them. So at the end of my piece, in order to try and get away from the kind of this 18th century patriarchy, they, they get pregnant and they're stuck on this little island with this treasured carbuncle jewel. And then the Navy comes along and basically they're battling the Navy with these like huge pregnant bellies and they're like defeating all the men. And I, I haven't written the song for that yet, but I think that's going to be a really cool thing. And maybe the babies inside could have little like chorus parts and stuff like like that. I mean, it's all that it's that kind of world where everything speaks in the world. This is the anti Philip Van Buskirk. Quite opposite. They're like, yes. You and your masturbation shame can get out. We're sex positive. We are watching people have sex. We're doing the whole thing. It's great. Natasha is very like open about talking about sex, about writing about sex. And I just think it's... I mean, we're all having it. I just think it's great. To speculate. To speculate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Might be a bit more... <laughs> maybe maybe these are two extremes, right? <laughs> Might be more reasonable to expect that there was a lot of sex on these pirate ships. I mean... That's all. Yes. Of course there That's was. All. Yes. And speaking of research, <laughs> sex research... Natasha learned a lot during her research process for this play. Well, one thing was this idea of a democratic utopia in terms of the pirate world, which I think is incredibly interesting. And they had this pirate code and they had racial equality, they had sexual equality, disability equality, they would share you know, this loot and all this kind of stuff and they would each have a vote. If you you could get married. I mean, it was predominantly male pirates. There were a few female pirates, but um, predominantly men. And if you were a gay or queer male couple, you could put in your will, I leave my 
you know, possessions and inheritance and so on to my partner. And again, that's like something that's only just kind of come about recently. I also think generally with historical periods, whatever period it is, this idea that they always are the most, they think that they're the most modern and most progressive and most innovative because they genuinely are at that time. And then we look back at them and go, oh, you know, how quaint or how, you know, blah, 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 whatever. But they're always at the forefront. And I think that's really important for us to remember. I think it's really interesting with Anne Bonny and Mary Reed that they were both cross-dressed as children by their parents and for different reasons and it's kind of a long story to get into with both of them but basically both of them grew up to some extent as as men and switched around their kind of gender and again thinking about today like how do we think about these women in particular and their gender and how do, and sexuality as well like my show's called lesbian pirates but if you want to pick hairs, they're essentially queer, right? And also, I think this thing of sexual power and having, you know, I get it could be called queer buccaneers, but I, I think lesbian pirates is kind of more like more direct, and that's kind of what my work is like. You know, I've had people who've been in in rehearsals with me and stuff go, well, the way that you're presenting Mary, I think that Mary's actually trans, and again, interesting idea. But would they consider that trans in that time? And so it's all these kind of like these ideas of, of binary and options and all this kind of stuff. I just think in some ways they were much more free with their sexuality. And again, you know, if you think about in the Elizabethan times, Tudor times, like and you go Romans, Greeks, all this stuff. To some extent, there were some there were some moments in history where there was a, a sexual liberation in the way that there is not now. So it's just really interesting to play with and, and let's let's see what happens. And I just, again, I think another thing which I'm sure you guys have seen with your research is that there's very little written about pirates because pirates didn't really write things down. And, and if, you know, you had female pirates, well, you've basically got almost zilch. You've got almost no information because, you know, why would you, why would you write about women? That seems very bizarre. And also this idea that pirates were essentially outsiders. Some had been kicked out, like they left the Navy or they'd been kicked out of the Navy. They were turncoats. They were people trying to get away from the land for whatever reason. So they're kind of this, these outsiders. And, and I think as well with disability, this idea of being, being different. And I've always felt different. I've always felt like an outsider. And so to kind of be in that world where you're with a group of people that haven't necessarily been socially accepted in, in the normal way, it's, it's really exciting to work in that, in that space. These themes of outsiderhood that are so central to Natasha's play are really what our podcast is all about. I mean, the musical, it's irreverent, it's a comedy, but it's got a lot of very serious themes around disability, feminism, equality, miscarriage. There's, you know, there's life and death issues. And I think that it's really important that we are able to try and engage with and make visible these female historical figures and go, you know, there, were, there was more than just... Joan of Arc and Queen Elizabeth. And there were more that, you know, we don't, that we don't have enough information about, but let's try to seek that out. And also, of course, with queer, queer history and stuff like that. And, you know, queer people have always been around and as much as they are today. And I think having an awareness of that history and stuff like that for for everyone that some way relates to that or or doesn't relate to that but is interested I think is is really great so I'm happy that you're talking about this uh, have you heard of the book called Be More Pirate it's called Be More Pirate and he talks about pirates through the ages and also about like pirate radio and pirate bay and stuff like this so he goes from contemporary to historical and he's basically saying be more of a rebel in your life, eco, like warrior, whatever, whatever it is. And like, how do you break the rules and stuff like that? 
On Netflix, there's a show called The Pirate Kingdom. Have you heard about this? It's called The Pirate Kingdom. And that has basically historical reenactments, which are just like so embarrassing. And they're like super violent. And you're just like, okay, it's like, a, you know, one of those kind of like C movies on, you know, back in the day, it was like Channel 5 or something like that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But they've got a lot of historians that are chatting about the history at the same time. Definitely worth like looking at those people as well. I guess one thing that I should have mentioned was where to seek out like the lesbian pirates work, like the musical stuff. So we've got this lesbian pirates song medley on YouTube, but then also on my website, which is NatashaSussanWilliams.com and also our theater company's website, which is WorkingBirthday.com. And I'm really interested as well. I mean, I've been obviously working very much in in the UK, but also people that are interested in in North America and stuff like that. I think it could be really interesting to like see how you know people can collaborate on this. Also, another thing that's really interesting about just a final thing to say: when we first started this. And we did a call out for actors. I had so many actors come and say, this is me as a queer disabled woman. You're telling my story. And I couldn't believe it because actually the intersection between disabled people and queer people is, is actually it's uh, many, many disabled people are, are queer. And Again, that's really, really interesting. And then, you know, with this idea with the ships and the utopia, Blackbeard had like 55% people of color on, on his ship. It was, you know, like there was a lot of really progressive stuff going on on those, on those ships. And this intersection of, of people, I think, is, is really exciting and really interesting. But it seems, I seem to be hitting a note and I just wanted it to ring out further and, and, and get people to hear this, whether they're queer, disabled or not. So Ellie, I'm devastated because I am not in the UK, nor can I leave the country right now. But if I could leave the country, I would be on a plane to see this play. Oh, yeah, immediately. Can we? I know you're running a crowdfunding campaign right now for your other, I'm just going to plug it right here. For your, yeah, great, uh, great. Send upcoming podcast, which is also about... <laughs> Pirates, right? Uh, yes, about yeah. les- lesbian pirates. I'd say queer I mean, pirates, all-encompassing. LGBTQ pirates. LGBTQ yes. pirates. So, I mean, you're running a crowdfunding campaign for that. I kind of want to run a crowdfunding campaign <laughs> for us to go see Natasha's play in England. Oh, I just feel yes. Like, you know, it's it's it just feels like... Or is it research? Is it a business experience? It is both. It is both. <laughs> if anyone is lucky enough to see Natasha's play, please let us know. Please. I want photos from the show. It would be amazing. Yes. I need to see. I need to see that somebody has benefited from seeing this show. Absolutely. Please. Absolutely. In the meantime, here's a taste of what's to come on Sweet Bitter. I still want to work with them. And I think that's a really key point about being pirate. Like, it's not an out and out. It's not always an out and out challenge to the system. It's it's, it's usually quite strategic. So it's there is a sense of like, well, we're going to go over here and create something better than what you've got, and you can either join us and get on board with it, or we will we will just carry on anyway, and we will end up in conflict. And she just kind of outlined why it was better, and said, we'll work, we'll work, we want to work in collaboration, but I'm not going to stop. Thanks for listening to Sweet Bitter. This is our last official episode of the season, which is exciting and sad, but we will be back with a bonus episode in a few weeks and we still have the season finale to go. So we're still working out what we're doing with that, but that will be fun. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us. It really helps, especially written reviews on Apple Podcasts. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash sweetbitter. As I said before, we did some pirate movies in the season. Obviously, we haven't done some patreon episodes for a while but it all paid off because now we're going to do a bonus series after this series of our flag means death which is going to be very exciting so if you're going to miss us in the break with the whole back catalog and we're going to be covering our flag means death sweet bitter is an independent production by me ellie bridgina elise nor and lisa charlotte in partnership with three springs media our audio engineering is by sarah gabrielli our production assistant is thea smith and our artwork is by estella illustrated Thank you to our guests this week, Rebecca Simon, Antonio Santa, 
Jamie Goodall, Clint Jones, and Natasha Sutton-Williams. You can read more about our guests and where to find them on our website. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at SweetBitterPod or contact us on our website, SweetBitterPodcast.com. And here is our sea shanty for this week, the last one, produced by Joshua. Enjoy. But were driven off by the Roman Pompey But by the 16th century Was a pirate empire at Barbary Where have all the pirates gone? They've been around so very long In the golden age Queen Elizabeth made private of her greatest men Raleigh, Drake and William Kidd would attack the Spanish Dutch and French but Captain Kidd eventually would set his sights on piracy Seventeenth and eighteenth centuries, buccaneers sailed the Caribbean Sea, raiding the American colonies, Blackbeard, Morgan, and Bellamy, Rackham, Bonnie, and Mary Reed, Bartholomew, known as Black Barty. that life and keep their gold some did but most would not be controlled he sent woods rogers to disrupt the place of the pirate strongholds giving them chase John Lafitte, those grandiose days of pirate lore had mostly vanished from our shores. But modern events in the Middle East and Somalia show it hasn't all ceased. Yeah.